From the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City, this is Road to Resilience, a podcast about overcoming adversity. I'm John Earl. My guest today is Jordan Feingold. She's a positive psychology practitioner and a medical student at the Icon School of Medicine here at Mount Sinai. Jordan is going to share three exercises that can help you see the bright side of life, even in dark times. They're evidence-based and closely tied to resilience factors we talk about a lot on the podcast. Things like gratitude and playing to your strengths. Jordan has a master's in applied positive psychology, and she's been teaching these techniques for years. So I think you're really going to enjoy what you hear. So what is positive psychology for someone who might not be familiar with the term? It is a scientific discipline. It is, you know, an empirical, observable science that uh, is all about the positive side of the human experience. So uh, we study things like optimism, future-mindedness, resilience. So not just, you know, not suffering and getting rid of depression, but, but the state beyond that, which we define as well-being or human flourishing. So it's not just about moving someone from sick to well. It's about moving them from well to great, essentially. Exactly. I want to move now to where we are right now uh, with mm -hmm. COVID and the pandemic. And I was wondering if you could share with us a few techniques or a few strategies from positive psychology that anybody could use to help them yeah. during pandemic times. Of course. So a big part of positive psychology is about positive interventions, which are intentional activities that are aimed at cultivating positive emotions, behaviors, and thoughts. One that I love is called the three good things or the three blessings exercise. And this exercise is all about just noticing positive things that happen to us during the day. And so we say that every night for a maximum of five days, you don't have to do it any longer than that. Um, but I do, a lot of people actually end up doing this every day because they love it so much. Before you go to bed, just think about three good things that happened to you that day. And you don't stop there. You also think about, and you can write it down too, why those good things happened. And what, what starts to happen is that you realize that normally when good things happen to us during a day, we don't really think twice about it. We're wired with this negativity bias that is a remnant of our evolution that makes us overvalue the negative things that happen to us. So it takes a lot of mental effort for many of us to actually think about the positive and, and feel it as, as saliently as we feel the negative. So by doing this exercise, it really helps us notice how when we start to pay attention to the positive, we can really end up savoring those things and and, and not letting them just pass us by during the day. Hmm. I love that. I think the, the why is so important because it's not simply counting your blessings. It's also understanding why things happen so that you can replicate them. Exactly. And often when positive things happen, we think like, oh, it's because other people made them happen or I'm just lucky or, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. But really often the positive things that happen to us happen because of things that we do to make them happen. And it helps us get into the mindset to be, um, take more ownership and take, give ourselves more credit for the good things that happen to us because often we do play a role in those things. So what are some examples? Have you been using this recently? Yeah, so we we were doing this when I was with my roommates during the pandemic and just really simple things like, you know, we made a delicious dinner or and we made it because we, you know, we planned out the the recipe beforehand, we set a time, you know, we we planned to be together. Um so that's one example. Um It sounds like the why often has to do with planning. 
<laughs> these days when, <laughs> yeah, everything just feels so nebulous. I think, I think that's something, I mean, just being able to plan and, and take some control over the situation, which otherwise feels like we are losing so much of the control, I think is often driving a lot of the positivity that I'm experiencing. What's another exercise that's been on sure. your mind recently? So actually, this is something we're doing with all of the second year medical students next week, and it's all about character strengths. So a big piece of positive psychology, especially when the field was first really developed back in the 90s and early 2000s, was this whole notion of character strengths. And it's, it's all about the, the common character strengths that are, are present in all of us across um, cultures, all across the world. So there are things like appreciation of beauty and excellence, bravery, curiosity, love of learning, um, just love in general, the ability to love and be loved, kindness. Um, the list goes on. There are 24 character strengths that are inventoried. And then the exercise is every day for a week to use your top strength in a new way. So, for example, if, you know, my top strength is appreciation of beauty and excellence, the question is, how can I apply that strength in a way that I'm not currently applying it now? So maybe it's like, I'm going to take more nature walks or do more museum tours or watch a film and appraise it with a friend. Um, and, and the idea is using our strengths rather than, you know, focusing on our weaknesses, which is often our, our inclination to do as human beings, um, really helps us to feel feel a sense of ownership in our lives. It increases our well-being. Um, and there are many research studies that have shown that people who have done this exercise using a new strength every day for one week had greater happiness and decreased levels of depression up to six months later. It sounds like that's the sort of thing that you could do in a group right? You could do in pairs at home. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone at home can go to the organization. It's called VIA, V-I-A. There's a website called viacharacter.org. And you can learn more about what the, what the strengths are. You can actually take a quiz that um, you answer a bunch of questions. It takes like 20 minutes. And then at the end of that test, it gives you a rank ordered list of your 24 character strengths. And the, the top strengths, like the top one or two, that you score highest on, we call those your signature strengths. And these things have pretty, you know, strengths are dynamic. They certainly, you know, can change over time. And we use different strengths in different contexts. And, you know, maybe I'm really high in humor in my personal life, but I'm less inclined to use humor in my work. So things like that. So they're definitely uh, context-specific and malleable. But the idea is that when we have a pretty good sense of what our top ones are, which are like the ones that are really core to who we are and our identities, we can, we can use those in our lives in more creative ways to help us give us a sense of mastery, To and we can even use them to help bump up some of our lower strains. Amazing. Let's do one more exercise. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's so, so many. Another one that I've been teaching my students and we're doing this one with the, with some pediatrics residents next week also, um, is called savoring. And savoring is about deepening and prolonging positive experiences. So again, like that negativity bias I talked about with the three good things exercise, we often just let the positive go. So savoring helps us really deliberately, mentally prolong the positive experiences. So 
savoring can happen in the past with reminiscing about past positive experiences, you know, spending time looking at old family photos and really deepening your experience, getting back into what life was like at another beautiful time in in the past. We can savor the present moment, things like drinking a delicious glass of wine or having, you know, a dessert, a homemade dessert or a piece of chocolate or even like taking a shower and <laughs> and like lug- the luxuriating in a warm bath. <laughs> And we can savor in the future too, anticipating positive experiences that, you know, I think that's really powerful right now. We may not know when they're going to happen in the future, but, but really anticipating a life after this pandemic where we can think in as many details as possible um, what we see ourselves doing in the future. And say, I mean, I love to savor. I think it really helps me be more present in the moment. And um, it's, just, it's just really powerful and it's fun. It's a form of stopping to smell the flowers. Exactly. exactly. And it sounds like you could combine this with uh, the three good things. Totally. Totally. Yeah. These things are really like they don't fit so cleanly into just like one exercise. Like there are so many ways you can do it. And, and positive interventions are not necessarily one size fits all things. You know, some people may really love to savor in the moment, but it's just like the idea of sitting and writing down three good things that happened at the end of the day, just like seems too burdensome. And that's totally okay. We can, we can mold these to work with our values and what we are most interested in doing and what fits into our schedules and our routines. Great. Thank you so much for sharing those exercises. Um, I know you've also been doing some other COVID-related work um, that has to do with creating resources and gathering uplifting stories from the Sinai community and beyond. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So... When this pandemic started, I think in the very beginning, I was, you know, in a little bit of denial and shock. I was like going through my stages of grief. <laughs> and then within a couple of weeks of realizing like life was going to be this way for a while, I was I was really thinking, I know this obviously is such an unfortunate time and so many things are are not as we would wish them to be. And this is also going to be a time where we see the best of human beings and there's so much to to celebrate during this time. So I, you know, got together with a group of students and we thought about a campaign that we could put together, which we ended up naming hashtag revamp underscore cove two. So revamp stands for relationships, engagement, vitality, accomplishment, meaning, and positive emotions. And so revamp is is basically what we know are the ingredients for the good life, for well-being, for human flourishing. So we put together um, a campaign to highlight these revamp elements, to share wonderfully positive uh, stories that are happening all around us. Uh, Are there any amazing stories that are sticking with you right now that you'd want to share? Yeah, I mean, watching the students at Mount Sinai, the workforce that has come together. So obviously, for students' own protection, um, many of the medical students were pulled from the wards in mid mid March. So the third and fourth year students were were pulled from the wards, and the way that they the student body has mobilized to do tasks that are not necessarily directly patient facing, but are over the phone via telemedicine. You know, students calling uh, patients about test results mm-hmm. um, and explaining how they can, you know, quarantine during this time and stay safe from their families. Students stocking shelves in the hospital with supplies, working in the pharmacies. Um, I've been 
constantly inspired by what is happening from the student-run side. And I mean, there's so much inspiration happening all over and so much of it is just being student-initiated, which is totally incredible. So Jordan, what's coming up next for you in the coming months? Yeah, so so a few things. Right now, I'm actually working on a research project with our Office of Wellbeing and Resilience. Um, that's a survey that has gone out to over 6,000 frontline workers across the Mount Sinai Hospital to understand the psychological impact of this pandemic. Um, and that's going to be something that's going on in over the next couple months longitudinally and up to six months to a year out after the pandemic is over. So we can really understand how this has affected our community and what our institution can do to support our frontline workers. Um, And I think that there's definitely going to be major, major opportunities to utilize positive psychology principles in the wake of this pandemic. Once things, um, you know, as of course right now, and, and as things continue to calm down and we get a hold on, on the crisis, um, I think we're going to realize that this time actually was filled with a huge sense of meaning and duty um, for for frontline workers. That that people were less preoccupied and less burdened with paperwork and administrative burden, and were actually able to do a lot of the things that they came to this medical profession to do mm. to really prioritize taking care of patients. And what I'm really curious about doing is figuring out how we preserve that when life returns to normal and how we can keep that deep level of engagement and meaning alive when people return to their to their usual duties and to help support everyone, um, patients, providers, and their mental health, which um, you know is certainly going to be a really, really big concern um, as things come down and we begin to sort of process this pandemic and, and what it means for us. So any initial thoughts along the lines of preserving? Like, how do we keep the good things from this time going? My initial thoughts are that we really need to, to, you know, this moment has been a time where we can all pause and really think about what our values are. And I think moving forward, we have to constantly keep that at the forefront when there's not something looking us in the face and threatening, you know, our, our lives. Um, so, so this notion that like this was a time to really prioritize what matters most, that we can continue to do that even, even after this and, and advocate for, um, you know, uh, the healthcare system that, of the future that that works for everyone that you know prioritizes the sense of meaning and duty for healthcare providers and perhaps lessening administrative burden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, of course, it's a hugely complex system that we exist in, and I know you know we things will not change overnight. But I think <clears throat> using an approach of of examining what has gone well during this time and how can we keep more of it. Um, rather than going in and saying, this was a problem before, how do we get rid of it? I think we need mm. to take a positive and appreciative of, approach of moving forward into the, the next wave of this and really looking at what's been working and, and continuing and growing that. Great. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It is totally my pleasure. Jordan Feingold is a positive psychology practitioner and a medical student at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. 
You can hear more from her on episode six of the podcast, in which she talks about managing fear, anxiety, and stress. As always, I'll include links to her work and related resources in the show notes. And now a couple thank yous. First, I want to thank everybody who's donated to Mount Sinai's COVID-19 response fund. Your donations continue to help us fight the disease. Our clinicians and researchers are so grateful. Thank you. And secondly, I want to thank everybody out there who's fighting for equality, dignity, and justice. Your resilience is the stuff of legend, and we're so proud of you. Road to Resilience is a production of the Mount Sinai Health System. It's made by Katie Ullman, Nikki Hudson, and me, John Earl. Lucia Lee is our executive producer. From all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon with new episodes. Until then, stay safe.